All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Sapphire Stories. Today, I'm sitting here with Rob Angel, the creator of Pictionary. Rob, why don't you introduce yourself and let our audience know more about yourself and what you're working on? Uh, Thomas, hi. Uh, I am Rob Angel, the inventor of the board game Pictionary, which I did in 1985. And right now I am launching and have launched a book about my experience. And I'm just enjoying talking to you and everybody else and just sharing what I've learned. And it was a lot. Amazing. I've read your book, but for those who don't know about your background, can you kind of walk us back through history of how you started and some of the things that you had to go through to turn that idea into a reality? <laughs> that is quite a story. So, have you ever had an idea or an idea for a business or a product and you didn't get started? I think that is most of us. And that was me back in 1982 when I discovered, as I called it, charades on paper. I was just a waiter. I was 22 years old. And I'd never invented a game before. In fact, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my future. But I did know I wanted to be in control of my future. That was really all I knew, right? I was going to be aware. I was going to be present when the opportunity arose. And I was going to take that opportunity. Well, I graduated from college, moved in with three buddies. And one day, one of them says, do you want to play a game of charades on paper? Okay, I have no idea what that is. So we draw pictures out of the dictionary, sketch pictures out of the dictionary to each other. That's it. And I didn't see my, my opportunity. I didn't see my life changing in that moment, but you know, it did. And so we started sketching words and then we sketched more words and more words. And I'm up all night. And then the next night, and the next night, I'm going back to waiting tables. This is my mindset, right? I'm a waiter. And so I start sketching words and I say, one night I say, you know, this would make a good board game because board games are what everybody played back then. This is pre-internet, pre-games, uh, uh, video games. So I thought, okay, this is what's given me. I'm going to create a board game out of it. I'm 22 years old. <laughs> so, so what do you think I did? Nothing. Nothing. I panicked. Right? My voice goes up when I say this, for goodness sakes. Because it was like, I see this idea... I've got this, this plan, if you will, to get started, and I don't get started. And that, I think, really is a lot of us that, that when opportunity comes, we may not be ready for it. We may not think about it in that moment, and that was me. I wasn't ready for that opportunity. But, you know, how many, how many people have gotten out of the shower and you have this idea, right? Mm -hmm. And then by the time you dry your hair, it's gone. But every now and again, you dry your hair and their idea is still there. And that was me in picture. And so for two years, I didn't do anything with it. I just was growing and learning and was waiting for a sign of how to put the words into a game. Because I knew that's what people would buy. They would pay for a marketable product, a tangible thing. And that was the word. So I see Trivia Pursuit. I see the Trivia Pursuit card. Now I know how to make Pictionary. 24 years old and I'm ready to go. 
Yeah, I want you to walk through the financial struggles that you had back then too. Oh, <laughs> well, when you're waiting tables, you don't actually have enough money to, uh, to get started in the business. So we had to uh, find financing and my partners and I, and I borrowed $2,000 from my uncle to finish college and he was wealthy. And so I started paying him back after I graduated. But in the months I couldn't pay him, I wrote him a note. Hey, Uncle Jerome can't pay. But I acknowledged the debt. That's what got him interested and why he supported us. The debt wasn't going away. The problem wasn't going away. But that's what I, I acknowledged. It, and that's why he did that. Um, what a back up, if you don't mind. For, yeah, go for it. For, yeah, for, for just a second. So I've got this idea. I'm finally ready to get started, but every, I, 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 I panicked. I came up with a hundred different excuses not to get started. Uh, I'm just a waiter. I don't have a plan. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never created a game before. I'm afraid of failure. You know, all these, these head games that I started playing with myself, all of them, there was 10, 20 of them, but they were all just excuses not to get started. And so I had to overcome them because, because there was nobody telling me to do it, right? Sometimes you have people saying, oh, it's not a great idea. You really shouldn't do it. And that's motivation, isn't it? When they say you can't do it. For me, I didn't have anybody helping me, didn't support me, so I had to do it on my own. So I had to get out of my own head. I had to get out of my own head. I, I had to stop basically overthinking. I mean, when ideas start popping into your head, and for me, I'm going through everything, start to finish. Well, I don't have the skills to do that, but all it does is overwhelm me. So I broke it down to its simplest idea, which was the word list. So I didn't even overcomplicate or overthink that. I grabbed what was in front of me. I had a paper, a pencil, and a dictionary. And I go in the backyard, and I open it up. And I got my pen and I'm ready to go. And I look at the first word on the first page of the dictionary that made sense. And the word was aardvark. Aardvark. That was it. I wrote down yeah. the word aardvark. But, but for all of us that have ideas, that's all it took for me to get excited to, to keep going, is writing down the one simple word. And I call that finding your aardvark. Instead of overthinking all the stuff, just take that one little step get excited about it, which I did. I'm going to break in a sweat. I'm looking around. Anybody see what I see? And that's how Pictionary got started. Not with a business plan, not with financing, not with all this other, other stuff. Simply writing down the word Ardmark. Amazing. Um, I want you to remember your first few sales. What did it take to get there? Because, you know, you said you had the idea for two years, and I'm sure yeah. many people had this idea in their shower, like you said, but to really execute and make m revenue is very yeah. difficult. Oh yeah, you, you just, an idea is great. And we physically manufactured a thousand games in my apartment, which was also great, except for the fact, as you say, you've got to generate some revenue. So I had to get over my fear of selling, my fear of the unknown of what I was doing and literally had to just, okay, it's not life and death, but I do have to sell this game. So I'd literally put it under my arm, 
and I'd walk down the street and I'd go into anybody that sold anything. That was, that was my philosophy because I needed to get Pictionary in front of as many people as I could. So I'd go into real estate companies, which was one of my first sales, bookstores, toy stores, of course. But also it was, that's what was given me. We didn't have access to Toys R Us and KB Toys and Target. So I had to do the smaller stores and I became fearless. And all the no's that I started getting, I didn't even, it's like, okay, I'll go to somebody else. There's a thousand stores in Seattle where I was launching. So don't get too caught up in the no's. Use them as fodder to keep going. You're going to get no's. I was going to get no's. That's just how it works. And so uh, just keep going. It's not life and death when they say no and use it to your advantage. Do you remember the first interaction or the first few where you got rejected? Because a lot of times when you say just, you know, ignore the rejection, but how painful was it when you first heard it? And what, what did they say? <laughs> well, like I said, I went to a real estate company. So, you know, they've, they originally said, we don't sell games. So the rejection for them was actually pretty easily. And so I, um, oh, so I, not good, all right. So I, first, I took it personally. I was like, oh, wait a minute, this is my game. I put my blood, sweat, and tears into this, and now you're gonna reject it? So I, the first couple of sales, I was like, okay, I, I, I don't like this feeling. I don't like this, this feeling of being completely attached to the outcome of the sale. It didn't matter because there would be more sales. And so the first couple of times were, were, wasn't a great feeling, but after I got past that initial, it's about the product. It's not about my ego. It's not about rejecting me. It's about making this product, making this game happen. And so once I got that established, once I took my ego out of all of it, it was a lot easier to accept rejection and accept success. Both are important to accept. Got it. And then what did you do with the first few dollars that you received from your first customer? Did you <laughs> put in a picture frame? Is there a picture in your house somewhere? No, <laughs> I've never been asked that. I don't know. It's a good question. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I was very excited. I think I still have the first order. I don't have the first check. That was my business partner. He, he handled all that, but that was, that was uh, that's a good question. That was, that was fun though. I mean, getting that first sale was really exciting. I mean, I just said about the negative, getting that first sale was really positive, really felt good, really felt empowering to keep going. And it was only six games, 90 bucks. That's all it was. Mm -hmm. And then when you started scaling up, because I read in your book, it took you a while to get your first revenue, but then um, what, what helped you speed up that process? Um, well, like I just said, taking my ego uh, out of what was going on, we became so big so fast, we just simply couldn't scale. We couldn't afford it. There was no VCs to raise cap funds. And so we had to license, which is, giving the manufacturing rights and cost to another company and they would pay us a royalty. And that meant giving up the day-to-day -day control of the product. And 
picture it was like an extension of me. And so I had to convince myself and reframe my state of mind from being an entrepreneur to being a licensing guy. But once we got past that, we licensed for the company that was a joint venture uh, that took the game to the big heights. They were the ones that did all the manufacturing, sales, marketing, and distribution. Mm -hmm. And in your book, you mentioned you had a few business partners. Can you elaborate how to find the right person to partner up with? Yeah, I got, for me, partners are key. Mentors are key. But getting the right partners uh, are, are very, very important. Because as an entrepreneur, I knew, and I think most of us feel we can do it all. I knew I could, right? The number one failure of startups is not lack of financing or timing. It's because entrepreneurs think they can do it all, and we can't. So we have to give up control. So I had to get some partners and I had to get partners that filled in the blanks. I knew my strengths, marketing, sales, eventually sales, but I needed somebody to run the business and I needed a graphic artist. So the graphic artist, Gary uh, Everson came on board. And then I had another partner, Terry Langston, that came on board, but they had three qualities that I had to have. One was they had to fill in the blanks that I couldn't do. That's why the graphic artist and the business partner. You can kind of find those these days online. I needed two. They had to share my vision. They had to, they had to understand what I was trying to accomplish. They had to understand and buy into what Pictionary was. That was important, and they did. You can still kind of get around that a little bit. But the third and most important thing is intangible. For me, it was that instinct that told me they were the right guys. They had to share my core values, right? We had to be on the same page of what we thought was right and wrong. And the most important part of that was integrity. They had to have integrity. So the more we spoke, the more I knew they did. So when those big decisions came, when those problems came, when those, those challenges that were really hard to overcome started coming, we were in it together, and I didn't have to worry about them having a different agenda. I didn't have to worry about them feeling a different way than I did. We were on the same page, and it was liberating. And without question, one of the key reasons why Pictionary, not me, but why Pictionary was a success. And could you share um, back in the day how you and your friends were in the apartment putting everything together? Because I read that you had to buy everything individually. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, what seems you know, fun now uh, was not necessarily the most fun then, right? So we're trying to put a game together. We're trying to be a manufacturer, in effect. We have to manufacture a thousand games. Well, nowadays you just go online and point and shoot and click and shoot and you wind up with your product. But we couldn't do that. So we had to go to the old school way, which was the yellow pages. We needed boxes, so I looked under boxes, and then I had pencils and markers and cubes and dyes and printers. We had nine different companies supplying parts, all shipped to my apartment, which is, I think it was like 950 square feet. I mean, it was, we're talking a tiny apartment from the 70s, and all this stuff was sitting around, the boxes, the markers, you know, I'm going to the bathroom and stepping on stuff all the time. It was tiny, but it was great. I mean, we just physically did it together by hand, and those, uh, those first thousand games that we produced literally have my fingerprints on everyone. 
I loved it. You, it was a lot. Do you I mean, have? But those days, I mean, those days were fun. Mm -hmm. It's like once I had to become quote unquote a businessman, just like the the, it just got a different vibe. But when we were in this this mode of not knowing, there was no manual, and every day we kind of wake up and go, all right, what are we going to do today? What are we going to succeed at? What are we going to fail at? I don't know. Let's just see what the day unfolds. We had a vision. We knew we needed to get the picture in a store shop. Past that, everything was a crapshoot. And it was a blast, the not knowing. I mean, everybody's afraid of the unknown. Well, stop being afraid of the unknown. Because the unknown is every day. It's not the unknown of failure, the unknown of what's going to happen. Every day is unknown. So just get excited about that. And that's what we did. And we just kept plugging through and plugging through and didn't get too fussed about the pluses or the minuses. So, so get excited about exploring, right? I call it being open, right? Be curious, be open and let the stuff come. And you'll know, you will know if it's not something that's going to serve you or your business and just push it aside and wait for the next and the next and just keep going forward. Man, I tell you, it's exciting and it's fun. It's really, really fun. Yeah. What I love most was just reading in the book how um, you were in, was it Macy's or Nordstrom? One of those Nord stores. Yeah. Nordstrom. Was that, would you say, one of the first time a store said yes to you and allow for you to put their games in their store? We'd had several uh, smaller stores around Seattle. So it was easy for me to walk into a little store and say, hi, I'm Rob Angel. Do you want to buy my game? You know, I was saying, oh, I was naive. I'd but what if it. they said no? What if they said, I don't like it? It's a terrible idea. Yeah, or just people in general when you were trying to sell your game to them or get them to promote it. I would, I would do, first of all, I would do everything I could to get them to say yes. I, I would offer demonstrations. I would hand deliver the games. I would tell their staff, how the games played so that when customers came in, they would know how to do it. So I did everything I could to get to that yes, including offering to take the game back if it didn't sell. So usually they would say yes because it wasn't a big investment. It's only 90 bucks, six games, and that's what I pointed out. And I also pointed out local boy makes good. I'm a local inventor. And that really helped sell, uh, sell the game as well. And all those things usually work to get the retailer to take on the game. What do you think was the strategy to convince a customer to show interest in you and the game? Well, it was, it was the biggest thing was the demonstration. So I promise that I would personally sell their inventory. So what's the downside for them? So I'd be standing at the bottom of the escalator at Nordstrom, or I'd be a little table, you know, it was like this big, and the game would just fit on it, and people would walk by and I'd go, hey, you wanna play my game? I mean, I was fearless, I didn't care. Anything to get that sale. And so at Nordstrom, they put me in this little round table about the size of a Pictionary game, and people would come down that escalator and I'd throw the pencil in their hand, throw the pad of paper and I said, hey, come on, play the game. I scared most of them away, but eventually some would come by the table and they'd start playing. And then we'd have a ball. Well, the louder we were, of course, the more people were interested. So I was fearless. 
in selling the game and getting it off the shelves. We used to do what we'd call store checks. So we'd go into a store and we'd look at where Pictionary was on the store shelf. And if we didn't like it, one of the partners would act as a guide or lookout and I'd rearrange their game department and put Pictionary top shelf, middle shelf, we're at eye level, and all the children pursue games in the bottom shelf where nobody could see them. So, you know, we knew our competition. When did it get to the point where you can first quit your job and focus on Pictionary full-time? Yeah, it was about eight months in, and I was looking for a sign. And I was getting ready to, I wanted to quit, but I was, I was kind of looking for a reason to quit. And I was waiting tables, and I made these flaming coffees. And you'd put a little uh, rum 151 and flame it on fire, and then you put a little cinnamon and it'd sparkle, and then you'd put a little Cointreau a little coffee, and it was just a beautiful show. So one night, I'm in there making the coffees for the owner, and I'm swelling the glass, and all of a sudden, alcohol goes pouring out of the glass all over my body. I'm on fire, going, put me out, put me out, and I'm saying, oh, it's alcohol, and I'm going through the restaurant, I throw the glasses down, and go, I am out of here. That was my sign, and I quit. And I never looked back. That was the last time I waited a table. I took an order and I went to making $500 a month. That was my salary, but I was full time. I loved it. I had a blast. And this is a question more uh, for, for the audience because, uh, well, I want you to answer this because a lot of my friends, they are always wanting to do their own thing, but they always wonder, when is it the appropriate time to quit the full-time job to pursue you know, their own journey? One, you have to take care of your responsibilities. If you have um, bills to pay, if you have a family to take care of, you have to take care of your responsibilities. But but when you start going along in your process, when you start going along in your business, if there is that point where you're okay, I'm ready to go all in. That point where you say, you know what? If I fail, it'll be okay. I'll go to the next. And more importantly, if I'm successful, then I can still go on to the next. So when you're ready and you feel that you're ready, go all in. This is, this is the thing. If you've got a part-time job and you're going in and out of your business, that's fine. That's how it works. Unless you can find a benefactor, that is how it works. But when you're ready to go, go all in. Make sure your responsibilities are taken care of. And then just enjoy the ride. I mean, that's the whole thing. It's the journey. That's what I was saying when I was so excited about those early days when we didn't know what we were doing. We produced a thousand games without knowing what we were doing. I created a game. I wasn't a game inventor, but just enjoy that ride because every moment, every day is an adventure and you're going to love it and you should love it and it'll be great and be successful. I know everybody can, whatever that looks like, whatever success looks like to you because it's always different. What it looks like to me and you and your friends, it is different. So when you know what it is, that's what you go for. That's what you visualize. That's what your dream is all about. And when you're ready, man, go for it. Hard and fast 
and as much gusto as you can. I like it. Now, now back to Pictionary. Um, at what point was Pictionary making revenue where it paid off your bills, where you didn't have to worry about, <laughs> you know, the bills that we all hate to pay? Well, I still have bills. Yeah. <laughs> See, my voice just went up an octave. <laughs> no, it's just bills are bills, man. It just, they, they are, uh, they happen when they happen. Um, it was, I got lucky. It was pretty early on. Um, it was after. Was it when you got that big check, the royalty yeah, check? Yeah, I knew you were, I knew you were going. The moment? Yeah, I remember in the book, I was like, wow. I just remember reading your reaction because um, you had no idea what to expect. And suddenly you saw that huge number that you've never seen before. Yeah, I thought it was a joke. Uh, yeah, I was, I was making $500 a month. And my first royalty check was for $179,000. Uh, that was a little overwhelming, to say the least. I mean, I'd never seen that kind of money before. And, you know, I didn't go crazy. I paid off all my bills, of course. And I just figured it out what to do with it in a smart, responsible way. Even though I'm a crazy man in my real life, I run with the bulls, I go to Burning Man, I travel. But my financial life, I'm pretty conservative. So I didn't go crazy, paid my bills, and then I just have built a very nice life for myself. Let's put it in that. But that first check was like, what the hell? How long did it take to get that check from the moment, um, I guess, when you quit your job? Oh man, uh, probably well, about a year. wasn't very long. wasn't very long because we licensed pretty quickly uh, for, after 14 months after we um, after we launched. 14 months later, we licensed, and then about three months after that, got our first royalty check. And so I, I do have a picture of that. I still have that somewhere. I'm sure you do. Yeah. Um, how did you get into licensing, and where did you learn? How did you find the right partners? Uh, we had a deal with Milton Bradley. We needed, we needed a license and we became pretty well known within the industry. People figured it out, figured out pretty quickly uh, the Pictionary was going to be a big deal. So the big companies came to us, Milton Bradley and Worlds of Wonder, and they wanted a license again. And this is before we licensed. Milton Bradley gives us, the biggest game company in the world, the biggest royalty they'd ever given an independent game company ever. They gave us marketing spend and performance guarantees and all this, these things we were looking for, except the one thing they wouldn't give us was that they wouldn't touch the packaging without our approval. We didn't want them putting in golf pencils. We didn't want them on their own to change the color of the box, to change the words. And so we thought, no, we need to keep control because we live and die by Pictionary. And so they gave us a contract, but they didn't put in writing. They wouldn't touch the game without our approval. Have you ever had that moment in your life where you've got to stand up for what you believe is right versus financial gain? That was me. 26 years old. I'm making $500 a month. And all I had to do was sign that contract. And I would have been a millionaire. I didn't sign it. I did not sign it because we couldn't trust them for our financial future. We couldn't trust them if they wouldn't put it in writing. And instead of just signing the deal and taking a crapshoot and hoping it worked out, 
We said no. I walked away from certain guarantee to be a millionaire because it wasn't the right deal. They didn't share our vision, back to that vision. And so there was a couple of days of, uh, what have I done? But I was right back to work because we had no plan B. We didn't know what we were going to do. There's that unknown again, but we were digging it. We were, we were okay with it. And then fortunately, about two months later, a joint venture formed, then licensed, a bigger royalty, all the controls we wanted, all the guarantees we wanted. So it all worked out because we held true to our vision. Don't sacrifice long-term success for short-term gain, right? If we had made our decisions based on money, Pictionary wouldn't be what it was. I wouldn't be sitting here. We made it on the vision. We made our decisions on what we thought was best for Pictionary. And that's why it succeeded. Mm -hmm. And how did you convince these people that your game was going to be a big hit because you were saying you were making hundreds of dollars um, a week, I believe. How did they just see that this would be a major success? They'd seen it all with Trivial Pursuit. Uh, we, were, we were killing it in Seattle. I mean, we kept it By low. killing it, what do you mean? Were you making tens of thousands of dollars through the game? No, we were, I, have no, no I have no idea how much money we were making. Again, we, we, we were underwater. We were, we were selling the game, the first thousand games, for $15 wholesale. Mm -hmm. Our hard cost was $22 wholesale. Oh. Uh, hard cost. We were losing seven bucks a game, but we were there to prove the market. We knew we were gonna take it in the shorts if we didn't get it to bigger uh, numbers. We had to manufacture 10,000 in games to get the quantity discounts where it made sense. But we were willing to lose money on every game to prove the market, and we did, and that's why we got the big royalty. That's why they came after us. We kept it local. We sold nowhere but Seattle that first year. And so we could control everything. It was all about control. Do you remember how many units you sold in Seattle? 86. Roughly. 8,600. Oh, exactly. At the end of the first year, 8,600. Yeah. And that was attractive to these bigger companies. Apparently. I got to tell you, though. <laughs> it's weird. We talk about it to this day. It was like it was only 8,600 games, and yet everybody wanted to license Pictionary. And there was something about that game. There was something about Pictionary that resonated with so many people back then, including Milton Bradley, Rules of Wonder, and the licensing guys, that everybody said, okay, this is the next big thing. Uh, we worked our butts off to get there, but it was a little bit of luck, admittedly. It yeah. was a lot of hard work and just timing. How did you find? How, how did you find them or get a hold of the point of contact to, well, speak to you? Uh, we had one contact, but they called us because we wow. were well known in the in the in the game industry within Seattle. Like Milton Bradley would come to Seattle, and they'd go, uh, "How many risks do you need to the local toy store?" Well, not many because uh, all we sell is Pictionary now. Oh, what's that? That got their attention. So they came after us. They were really eager to speak. That was nice. It was nice to be wanted like that. Yeah. And then once you got that royalty, it just seemed that the rest was kind of history because, again, this is a really good part to read in your book, just seeing all the grit. And suddenly you're just selling millions of games. You become number one. Then you go international. And international actually outperform the U.S. market, right? 
uh, royalty-wise, we, yeah. we sold more games in U.S., but our royalties were higher. But I want to you know, be clear, when we licensed in 1986, I still stayed with the product, with Pictionary, for 16 more years. I didn't take the money and run. If we had have done that and sat back and collected royalties and just hopefully we'd sell a few games, Pictionary wouldn't be where it was. We kept pushing. We kept marketing. We spent our own money, but we didn't have to, to keep marketing and pushing the licensing groups to do their job. So make no mistake, it wasn't pure luck after we licensed and just crossed our fingers. We made that happen for 16 more years. That was our focus. That was our money maker. We didn't get sidetracked. That's why Pictionary uh, had the longevity that it did because of us staying involved, not because of them, because of us, without question, without question. Mm -hmm. And do you still get royalty checks from them to this day? Uh, no, we, we sold no. the game to Mattel okay. in 2001. So that was, oh my goodness, almost 20 years ago, 19 years ago. And so wow. they, they bought the, the intellectual property. All they bought was the IP. Intellectual property. Just bought the name. They didn't. We didn't inventory. But no, nah, it was just, you know, so many things. And this whole journey, this whole adventure, Pictionary had to be right. So many steps. So many people that we met. So many different groups that came on board. But it was because of our vision, and it's because we got started. I mean, I can't stress that enough. For young entrepreneurs, and this is a great story. Oh my gosh, they made all this money, and they did this big game, but every day we were acting like entrepreneurs. Every day we got out of our head, every day we just took small steps to be successful. And the path got us to where we were supposed to be. It wasn't this great idea, oh, I'm gonna make millions of dollars and sell this big game and all these things. No, it was writing down the word aardvark, it was getting out of my head. It was quit telling my same story over and over that I can't do it. I don't know what I'm doing. That was the story of a waiter. I had to get over that. And that was the beginning. And I can't stress that enough. Don't get caught up in the details. Don't, oh my gosh, this guy sold all these games. Yeah. But it all started with the word aardvark. It all started with the second word, abacus. Then a couple of words later. And then my partners and every little step got me to this point. So enjoy that ride, but you gotta get started. Whatever that looks like. It could be as simple as getting a domain name on GoDaddy. That's tangible. I mean, there was a guy that I knew that he wanted to be this big caterer. He couldn't get started. He didn't know what to do. So I put 20 bucks on the bar, said go buy a domain, domain name. Guess what? Three years later, he was the biggest caterer in Seattle just from getting a domain name. So, so Get out of your head, get onto the paper, write something down, do something, one thing, and then get excited about it. I guarantee you, that's the way to get started. Don't worry about all the details just yet, just get started. I love it. What keeps you going today? Uh, you know, this, I love telling my story. I love inspiring, hopefully inspiring, that that if I can do it as a waiter from Spokane, Washington, 26 years old, had a dream, had a vision, had an idea, and I can make this happen, anybody can make it happen. And I want everybody to be successful. I want everybody to have whatever they want in life, whether it, whatever success looks like. And if I can inspire and help and nudge and push 
by my example, man, that's what I want. I want everybody to be successful. I want everybody to be happy. This is, this is not a me or you. Everybody can do this. Everybody can be successful. And so if I can help, man, that's, that gives me joy. That gives me a lot of joy. I love it. I, I really like the advice. And just for a few of my friends are here, um, I'm sure they'll have some questions. Um, feel free to turn on your camera and ask a question. If anyone has a question, then Gabe, Zach. If not, um, what's one final piece of advice that you would want for people to take away with? That anything is possible. I know that sounds cliche, but anything is possible, but there's no, okay. The advice I would give is that there's no one way to be successful. If you look at Mark Cuban, me, Sarah Blakely with Spanx, we all did got there a different way. There's no one magic bullet say, okay, these guys did it this way and I'm going to do it that way and I'm going to be successful. Right. But the only thing we have in common is we got started without having a plan. We got started without knowing what we're doing. We all got started in the business. We didn't know anything about when we get, did get started. So, so my advice is quit looking at everybody else. Get out of your head and believe in yourself. Believe that you can do it. Make that your new story. Make that your new mindset. Make that who you are and just get started. And that's my advice. Man. Amazing. And, and you got to read your book. You got to plug in your book here. Um, and also, uh, where people can that. find it. And then also, Game Changer. Where can they buy it? Well, how many people are out? You know, so all the, all right. So I have um, an email list, but these are just like my close friends that are watching right now. All right. So for your, all right. So go on Amazon. Where'd it go? Yeah. Go on Amazon. Uh, Rob Angel Game Changer. And you can get it there. And Thomas, I'm going to give you five free books that you can figure out how to give away. Because I want people to read this book. I want people to get excited. And it's a great story. It's a quick read, but it's got a lot of good information. And it's just got my journey. And so whatever I can do to help uh, get it in many people's hands as possible. And, you know, I'm, I'm living what I talk yeah. about. Yeah. And, and again, I'm a testimony. I can test, do, give a good testimony for your book because as I mentioned before we started, I read this all in one day. And I think it's one of the most inspiring books out there for entrepreneurs because he went so deep into the how part that I think anyone reading it can actually take some advice and apply it to what they do, whatever it is. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I hope so. I think so. Yeah. Awesome. That's a wrap.